So last week, we saw that God's word has not and will not fail. So that's where we were when we were in Romans chapter 9 in the first part. But we said that as we look at that, his purposes will always stand, they will always be fulfilled, and so on. But as God chooses, and we were talking about this in terms of understanding what does it mean for us to choose or not choose, or what does it mean for God to choose and not choose, for God to have the elect and the folks that would be predestined. And we talked about these words and these truths, but as we looked at those truths, as God chooses, directs, and works out everything for his purpose, Paul knows that at least some people will protest and question God's actions. And that's what he's addressing in Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So today we are in Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Before we dig deeper into this passage, I want to reiterate this very important truth we established last week. God is sovereign. God who directs or allows everything is Lord over all 
that happens in creation. He is in control. And the moment we hear that, we chafe at it. Because we don't want anyone to lord over us. We don't want someone else to control what happens in our lives. We want to be in control. When someone else has the final word on what happens in our lives, we are prone to say, that's not fair. But the important truth that Paul is emphasizing, is reinforcing here, is that God is not just sovereign, he is fair and he is just. There is no partiality with him. If you remember when we were in Acts and studying the book of Acts and when we were in Acts chapter 10, when Peter was supernaturally brought to Cornelius' home in Caesarea and he heard how God had spoken to Cornelius, Peter said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism or partiality, but accepts from every nation, every ethnicity, the one who fears him and does what is right. But if God is not unfair, if God is not unjust, if he's not showing favoritism, how should we understand this description of God hardening Pharaoh's heart or forming pottery for different purposes? How should we understand these scriptures? It is in the book of Exodus that we read about God sending Moses back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to release the children of Israel from slavery. God calls Moses and he says, go back to Egypt and say these things to Pharaoh. When we read Exodus, particularly chapters 4 through 14, the Bible tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In fact, it says, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. And we also read that phrase in chapter 7, verse 3, chapter 9, verse 12, chapter 10, verse 1, 20, 27. And we just read in Romans 9, 17 that God was in control of Pharaoh and his heart so that God's plan and purpose would be fulfilled. God raised him up, God put him in place so that his plan and purpose would be fulfilled. Uh, but we're also told in Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And you read that in Exodus chapter 8, verse 15, verse 19, verse 32. And then you go to chapter 9, verse 7, verse 17, verse 34. All of them say, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God tells Pharaoh that he's being punished because you, Pharaoh, set yourself against my people. So what's the Bible really saying about heart hardening? Was Pharaoh a good man and God unfairly turned his heart hard and cold and you know Pharaoh was a, going about doing good stuff and God said I'm gonna harden his heart was that what happened if you read through the account of Pharaoh's life we find Pharaoh enslaving and seeking to wipe out the children of Israel God's chosen people the ones that God loved and last week as we considered that phrase Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated we saw how God dealt with the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, in order to protect the descendants of Jacob. 
He dealt one way with the descendants of Esau in order to protect the descendants of Jacob because of the promises and the covenant and because of the Edomites' rebellion and the turning against God. And God was dealing with Pharaoh based on how Pharaoh dealt with God and with God's people. Keep in mind, the very fact that Pharaoh was where he was was an open rebellion against the true and living God because Pharaoh was to say, I am God. The child of the Pharaoh, the oldest son in the land, the Pharaoh's eldest son, would have been called the son of God. That's how they referred to the Pharaoh. So his very rule over Egypt was an affront, was a saying, I am bigger than Yahweh, I am God. And so here he is doing all of that, and here are all the gods of Egypt, and here's all this enslavement of the children of Israel, the people of God, the chosen people. And God deals with Pharaoh the way that he has first dealt with God. So there are statements about Pharaoh hardening his heart, as well as these statements about God, God hardening his heart. And somehow, both are true. But Paul has already oriented us in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, to this kind of paradox. We read about this. We studied this. We looked at this. And we said, oh, when we read there, we saw that people's hearts are full of lust, and therefore God gave them over to their desires. We talked about this and said, it was not that God was or people were do, you know, just doing all the right things and then something else happened. There was the desire within people, there was the lust within people, and God allowed them to indulge in what they desired. God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart was a giving him over to his own stubbornness. Pharaoh decided, decided to resist God. God reinforced him in that position. Pharaoh says, this is what I will do. God says, okay, I will let you do that. I will allow you to do that. God gave Pharaoh what he chose. When God hardens someone, he doesn't create the hardness. He simply allows the person to go his or her own way. I want to do this. God says, okay. And so most of the time, many of the times here, and as we read in Romans 1, our sin is not because God, you know, and we read these verses, right? Does God tempt us to sin? Is the law causing us to sin? No. These things are the boundaries. These things are the ways in which God would speak to us. But when we give in to our own desires and we say, I will have my way, God says, okay, go ahead, go ahead. And all those whom he hardens want to be hardened. That's really what's going on. Now, Romans chapter 9, verses 21 through 23 are a little bit more difficult to deal with because it says, Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? That seems to imply that the objects of his wrath had no choice, that they were just prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? And that makes it seem like the objects of his mercy have no choice either. They were just simply prepared beforehand for 
that glory. Even us whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. But I want you to notice this. Notice that the objects of God's wrath that were prepared for destruction and the objects of his mercy that were prepared in advance for glory are refer referring to God the potter. Right? When we have these images, we have these verses all the way in the Old Testament. But this pottery of God, this, the fact that he creates some vessels for special purpose or some for common use, we need to better understand those phrases. And to better understand those phrases, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 onwards. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 onwards, 8 through 21. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. We've said before that the book of Romans is all about living out the gospel. And the whole point of what Paul is writing to the Romans about is to know the gospel story, the gospel truth, and to live that out. And so here he is, he's writing to Timothy, his, his, the one that he's mentoring, the one that he is, you know, his ward as such, he's training him up. And he says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Pay attention to those phrases. These are phrases that are describing our participation. These are ways in which we are engaged in what the Lord is doing in our lives. Then he continues, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. 
those who cleanse themselves implies agency on our part. We're not passive in this. We respond. God hardens. We harden. God prepares. We prepare. Somehow both are true. It's not an either or. It's a both and. But, not, but note the specific charges that Paul makes in this passage. Don't quarrel about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Handle the word of God, the word of truth, correctly. Present yourself to God as an unashamed worker, or in other words, an obedient and faithful and therefore approved worker. Avoid godless chatter that makes you more ungodly. Don't destroy anyone else's faith. Confess the name of the Lord and turn away from wickedness. So, as I said last week, there's much debate about these verses. But our focus is not on arguing about words. Our focus is on applying the word of God and living out the gospel. And so once again, as I was saying last week and as we are in this theme for these chapters 9 through 11 here, there are some clear points we can agree on. And here is the first point of agreement. God shows mercy and compassion. God does not need to show mercy and compassion. He didn't, he didn't have to. When he created us and he gave us everything and he did everything else and we went our ways and we rebelled and we said, nope, you know, I'm good. God didn't need to show us mercy and compassion in that state. He could have said, okay, I give you up to your own desires, I give you up to your lust, and you're on your own. But the Bible says that he shows us mercy and compassion. Mercy is not deserved. Compassion is not earned. And so even as his foreknowledge, predestination, election, and fulfillment of purpose are actively engaged with our repentance, response, confession, and obedience, thank God that he saves human beings from destruction. If God was not merciful and compassionate, we would all have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, wiped out in righteous judgment because of our rebellion and wickedness. Thank God for his mercy and compassion. And I encourage you to read a book that, or read a at least a chapter in a book that you may not typically go to, but I encourage you to read all of Lamentations chapter 3 in connection with this truth that God shows us mercy and compassion. And in particular, I want to read to you Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 24, which is a glorious encouragement for us because it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. If God didn't love us unconditionally and eternally, if God didn't forgive us when we repent, if God didn't remove our sins from, from us as far as the east is from the west, if God's mercies were not new to us every 
morning, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Praise God. That's a good place to go. Woo. Amen. Right? I mean, that, I mean, this is something that we've got to come back to, that we preach the gospel to ourselves every single day and we say, oh God, thank you. Where would I be without your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your love? You've done this for me, and you, don't, you didn't just do it for me a week ago, a month ago, 10 years ago. Sometime when I, came to, when I stood up and I said, oh, I confess the Lord as my Savior, I, I believe it. It wasn't, wasn't just then. Every single morning, your mercies to me are new. By the end of that day, I've done so much that I need to come back to you, and I need to repent, and I need to ask for fresh mercy, and I thank you that when I get up that next morning, oh, your mercies are new to me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is a wonderful point of agreement for us. And here's our second point of agreement. God calls Jews and Gentiles alike as his people. God does not restrict his salvation to just his chosen people. That's the whole thrust of what we've been talking about you know, as we've been in Romans 9 and continuing and as we continue into Romans 10 and 11 you'll see this. this this choice of God this calling of God he selected a group of people he called Abraham out he said to your descendants I will give this land and he, and he, said, he, he said to Abraham well before even he had a child he said your descendants will be in captivity for four, 400 years and all of that takes place, and he brings them out of Egypt. He brings them into the promised land. He does all of this, but he does not restrict his glory, his grace, his mercy and compassion to just the chosen people. All through history, God has continued to pour out. God has continued to speak. God has continued to bring in to his family, to bring in as his children, all Jews and Gentiles alike. And so all through history, without partiality, he has called everyone who confesses his name to become his people, his children. We can go through a lot more to say on that. But I want to get us to this point. Because when you read this, when you understand this, and we respond to it, and we say, how do we apply this word? Well, we can only apply we can only respond to this word of God that we are hearing by showing mercy and compassion to everyone else. That has to be the way that we say, God, because you have shown me mercy and compassion, I show mercy and compassion to someone else. I reach out with love. I reach out to those that are not like me. And I want to do what you have already done. Work through me. Paul warns us not to question or challenge God. He says he's the creator. When we talk back to God, we're essentially saying that we know better than him. We put ourselves in the place of God. Instead, we are to humble ourselves as his creation. We read last week in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, that God hates haughty or proud eyes. Pride. There's a number of references throughout the scripture that speak against pride. The Pharisees were proud of who they were and what they did, of their being chosen and their conduct. And they said, look at me. Look at us. 
They disdained the, the Gentiles. They absolutely disdained the Gentiles. And they even spoke out or were critical of other Jewish people because they were not like them. Look at this publican, look at this sinner. He doesn't pray like me. He doesn't give like me. He doesn't live like me. And that pride was what characterized the Pharisees. And Jesus rebuked them sharply, sharply, that he rebuked the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the, those that spoke in these ways. But every one of us can easily fall into the same pit as the Pharisees. We can boast of who we are and what we have done, where we've come from and what defines us. And we can start to have pride in that. We can argue about words. We can be proud of what we know. And we end up tearing down rather than building others up. We need to do what God does even when he knows that only a remnant will be saved. God knows that only a remnant will be saved even amongst his chosen people. And we are called to do the same thing that he does even when he knows that, which is that we would show mercy and compassion. We must freely share what we have freely received. We must desire and pray for every single person in our lives to be called by God, called his people, called his loved ones. And so the challenge that we have this morning, and we're just going to spend a few minutes in prayer too, but the challenge that we have this morning is not that we would look at these verses and try to understand hardening of hearts and you know, nuances of what exactly happened and which, which part was good and which part was not. The challenge that we have when we hear these kinds of words is that we say, okay, that applies for somebody else. But we have to be able to say, Lord God, you convict me. You deal with me. You reveal my heart. And in every way in which I have not been compassionate, in every way in which I have not been merciful, in every way in which I have not reached out to somebody else with love that you have shown me, change me now. Change me now. Work in me, Lord, so that my heart is transformed. Because you see, we have to be able to say with the Lord, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not currently my loved one. Who is it that is not like you? Who is it that is not like your people? Who is it that you have said, mm. the Bible says that the Lord has called them his. The Lord has called them to himself. The Lord has loved them, chosen them, brought them to himself. We can do no less. We can do nothing other than what the Lord has done. This morning, even as we go through these verses, these chapters, the themes are the same. Almost every week I'm telling you the same thing. That we need to have this deep compassion for the lost. Paul has this unceasing anguish for his people. And he says, oh God, let them be saved. We need to call out for our neighbors, our friends, our family members. Maybe there's a loved one in your family that does not know the Lord. Maybe there's somebody who knew the Lord, but as Paul describes here and as in the verses that we read, they have abandoned the faith. 
They're seeking to destroy other people's faith. They're doing something that hurts and grieves God. Don't give up. Don't say, well, let them go. Call out with mercy, with compassion, with love. Reach out to them. Because what we have in every single truth of this kind is the opportunity to put our unwavering trust in the Lord. Not in our ability to convince somebody. Not in our ability to say to them, hey, this is what you should do and this is what you should not do. Not in our ability to change anybody's heart. But our unwavering trust in the Lord. And we will say, oh Lord God, I trust you that you can touch this person. And we need to have an undivided focus on what really matters. Not the words, not that all our doctrines and theologies are just right. Not that we can convince somebody else. But even as Paul said, I don't come to you with persuasive words. I'm not trying to convince you by my words. I want to have an uncompromised, undivided focus on what is real, on what is important. Jesus, Christ crucified. Every single time that we have these opportunities, we want to keep coming back to the cross. In a few weeks, and even you know, as we're going through Advent and so on, and as the world even talks about it, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. But every time we celebrate the birth of Jesus, let's also celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The fact that Jesus came and he gave his life. The fact that he did all of this to transform us. And that is why those verses that we read, those were not after he was crucified. Those verses were from Hosea and Isaiah and the prophets of old that said, Oh, the Lord will call those people that are not his people, he will call them his own. He will bring to him those that are not loved and he'll say, I love you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him to have that heart in us. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. And even as we spend a few minutes in prayer, I want to ask you, ask the Holy Spirit to show you who you need to be praying for, who you need to reach out to. Maybe this season that's coming before us is the time for you to reach out to some of these folks. Maybe someone you have been estranged from for a long time. That you would say to them, let me tell you about the love of Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus who came into this world. Let me tell you about what he's done for me. Let me tell you how he has changed my heart. Let me tell you how he allowed me and led me to love somebody that I could not have loved otherwise. Let me tell you how he led me to accept somebody, to receive them, to embrace them when I wouldn't have done it. My pride, my sin, my, my reliance on self would have kept me separated, not united. But because of what the Lord has done, because of what the Lord has done, oh, I can call them my people. I can love them. I can show mercy and compassion. 
I allowed the Lord to shine through me. I allowed the Lord to live through me. Oh, let's just submit ourselves. Let's just yield ourselves to the word and to the Lord to say, Lord God, have your way in me. Have your way in me. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, come. Touch us, Lord. For each one of us, there's a different, different area, different person, different circumstances that need to be set right in you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. True revival is even as we were reminded right from the start, true revival is that we would spend time with God, that we would be in his presence, that we would be in his embrace. It's not even the signs and wonders and everything else. Those will follow. True revival is that we would be with Jesus. When we've been with Jesus and then we go see somebody, we talk to somebody, we interact with somebody, they will say, oh, this person must have been with Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, we can come to you and you take us, you teach us, you build us, you cause us to grow. But Lord, you give us what we need for life and godliness. And Lord, you show us what to do by, by your example. You don't just tell us to do something and then we have to figure it out. You have given us your example. You have called those that were not yours, you have called them yours. You have adopted us and so many into your family. You have poured out your love. You have lavished your love. You have been prodigal with your love when we have been prodigal with our desires. Lord God, we thank you for your mercy, fresh and new to us and therefore available for everyone else. We want to tell the world, or we want to tell the world of your mercy and your compassion. Father, even as we, Lord, even as the world prepares to celebrate the birth of Jesus, truly, Lord, let that transformation take place, that we will know you and make you known in every possible way. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Let us not leave from here, Lord, without your Holy Spirit showing us what specific action each one of us should take. It's going to be different for each person, but you can tell us specifically. The person that we need to reach out to, the situation that we need to address, whatever kind of reconciliation needs to be there, what restoration needs to happen. Father, you make that happen. You speak. You anoint. And Lord, I declare 
your power to make that happen. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.